Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled. He just goes till the sun goes down. Hydraulic fluid. Hi, and welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is about everything about food. Your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Greg, good to see you again. Good to see you. Good to see you. And yeah, here we are on our mission to help people understand how food gets from the farm or the wherever it comes from. Uh, the ranch to the table, you know, because most of us aren't in food production anymore. Less than one and a half percent of Americans are involved with food production. Yeah. You know, Greg, it just dawned on me that you're more comfortable on the wholesale side, but my career has been on the retail side. Right. You know, you, you, you know the, the growers and the producers and uh, uh, the packers, but I'm the one that knows the chefs and the restaurants and, and the recipes. It's, it's pretty interesting how we can play off each other with that. Yeah, it's great. I think that's what makes this show interesting is that you're on that side of the fence. You have been for your whole career, and I've been on this side, the wholesale side of the fence. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I've been visiting farms and ranches and USDA plants, worked in six of them, and you've been training people how to cook, worked in kitchens, worked in commercial kitchens. You can feed big, huge groups of people. You know about food safety. So, yeah, you, you, I, know, I know how to get the meat to your door, and then you know how to cook it. Well, you know, the beautiful thing about our guests today, I don't know what they're doing over there. And so that's, it's great that we have our guest today, Steve Williams, uh, with JBS in Greeley, one of the larger meat packers in the world. And, uh, Steve, welcome to Food Chat. Thank you. It's good to be here. And you say, yeah, I'm in Greeley, Colorado. And John Barker, who is uh, in Fed Beef, does our data analysis, our grids and formula, is also here with me as well. Well, welcome to our show here. And as you've heard, you know, I'm a chef by trade, so I'm use, I'm the end user of whatever product you're producing. But uh, Greg seems to kind of know everything. So, you know, and a lot of our listeners at Food Chat, they're... They're lay people. They, they don't know how cattle are raised, how they're moved, how they're taken to feedlots, how they're processed. So, you know, my first question for you, how did you get into the position that you hold at, at JBS? And can you tell us a little bit about your background and how it's led to this great career? Sure. I grew up in Oklahoma on a small farm and ranch. I grew up with uh, a lot of stocker cattle and mama cows in the very southwest corner of the state. Went to Oklahoma State uh, University and then uh, started working in the feedlot business. And then a guy from Colorado uh, called me up and uh, hired me to get in the packing business. Dick Monfort, um, who owns the Colorado Rockies now, uh, had, had this company here based out of Greeley called Monfort of Colorado. And uh, I started buying cattle for, for Monford of Colorado in the, for the Dumas plant in the panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma, Guyman, Oklahoma, and then uh, came to Greeley in uh, 1998 and have been here uh, in cattle procurement ever since. 
That's a great background. So can you describe for us what it's like to be a, a, a cattle buyer? Um, you know, you, you're covering a lot of territory out there. And, you know, I would imagine that just like anything we would purchase, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Uh, give us a little insight as to how that works. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. A cattle buyer, it's, it, um, it's an art. It's not a science. We have, uh, we have about 30 cattle buyers from really all over the, the center of the U.S., if you will, kind of from Texas uh, up to South Dakota would be where we cover the ma- majority of the feed yards. And, you're, you're, you know, you're right. It's in, the corn, it's in the corn area, the corn belt, if you will, and there's a lot of variations in the type of cattle. So they're out there. They start their day. A lot of them start uh, early Monday morning looking at the cattle, going to feed yards, seeing which ones that the uh, producer says are ready. And uh, we sort through those, and then we start, you know, asking the producer what he wants for him, what the market's going to be, and start to get a bibble, you know, a bid and quibble system, if you will, and uh, start bidding on cattle first thing Monday morning, a lot of times for the, you know, for the next week or two's harvest. So what, kind of what they're looking for out there in the country Right now, there's a you know a lot of premium programs are tied back to black-hided cattle that are upper two-thirds choice or prime, so they're they're looking for those black-hided type cattle that are fat and will grade upper two-thirds in choice and prime, as stamped by the USDA uh, graders. Very good. You know, Steve, there's a lot of great ag schools out all through the West, uh, the through the Corn Belt, as you've uh, mentioned. Tell us about um, how did you learn this trade? Uh, granted, you kind of grew up in it, and that's really how I learned my trade. Um, but uh, any schooling regarding animal husbandry or anything like that? Yeah, I, I was an animal science graduate at Oklahoma State and uh, took lots of courses, you know, in animal nutrition and animal health. And uh, as you said, I grew up in it. And then, um, as I also said, John Barker is here with me. He's, he's a local. He's a, a Denver guy and uh, went to Colorado State. I'm going to let John talk a little bit about his background at Colorado State and how he got into cattle procurement. Thank you, Steve. As Steve said, I grew up in Denver, no exposure to agriculture growing up. I was just always fascinated by it and then went to college at Colorado State University and decided while I was there to get an ag business degree. And it definitely has served me well, learned the, learned the lingo of the trade, if you will, trade different commodities and the issues producers face. And that really sent me up to get in with Five Rivers right out of college where I was working in their tuner feedlot as a feed management trainee and then did that for about a year before moving into cattle procurement here at JBS. Hey, John, I'm a CSU alum. You just put the biggest smile on my face. Hey, John. John's smiling big here, too. Yep. Uh, I have a question for for both of you that you can uh, take turns answering or both give a little bit of insight to. Uh, I used to be a cattle buyer, very small. I bought three to five loads a day for a small plant, so nothing like what you guys buy. But I would find um, producers or slaughter plants that but I bought carcasses from and I bought live cattle too, but I would find ones that I liked. They produced consistent quality cattle and I would just buy over and over because I knew them. I didn't need to go look at the cattle every time. I would go a couple times during the year, but 
you know, week in and week out, they were producing some high-quality cattle. I wasn't doing any video buying. I didn't do any of that. But look, I would like you to explain a little bit how cattle are bought. I always bought based on a formula that was contracted out front. I never did cash or spot buying. But could you talk about the ways you buy cattle? You buy some on cash and some on spot, and you buy some on a grid. Would you explain that to our listeners who know nothing about this? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question and gets to the heart of what John and I do every day. Uh, I buy cash cattle on a day-to-day basis. I'm in charge of the cash buys for um, Cactus, Texas, and Grand Island, Nebraska. Fred Nichols uh, is in charge of Greeley, Colorado, and Hiram, Utah. And when I say cash, it's either live or dressed. So it's, it's the buyers I was talking about looking at cattle and bidding. You know, for example, the, the last trade you know, last week was 242 dressed uh, in Nebraska, one 150 live in Texas, 150 to 153, you know, across the country. And basically, that's a live price for 100 weight. You pay that for the cattle, they weigh them up, and as soon as they cross the, the scales, you know, the, 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 the ownership transfers over to the packer. That's about half of what we buy is a spot or live or dress cash buy is what we call it. The other half of our buy would be either a grain yield, a grid, or a formula, and that's what John does every day, and I'm going to let him describe what he does every day. Yep, so we'll start with what a formula buy is. A formula buy is if you have a cattle feeder that wants to turn in 200 head of cattle at the start of the week and not worry about trading them, you can pick a market to price them off. So a lot of cattle feeders will use the five-area weighted average, whether it's a live buy or a live price or a dress price. So that's the formula. You're just agreeing to buy the cattle on a set or on a price that's going to be determined from a market report. Then you also have your grid and, grade and yield, which is a grid cattle. The best way I like to describe that is you're paying for what you're getting. So if a producer sends in cattle that are all primes and CABs, they're going to bring back some extra money because they're getting paid for that increase in quality. On the other hand, if they don't meet the plan average in quality, they're going to get discounted. So it's a way to pay more for the good grading cattle, but also protect us on the poor grading cattle. So you're paying for what you're getting. Yeah, and I bought cattle both ways, John. And, uh, you know, what I found was the fairest way for me was to buy the yield and grade, because if I had dark cutters or bloodshots or cattle that graded select or didn't grade, then, you know, I wasn't paying premium for them, you know. But, uh, John, a question about, you know, you said there's different ways, different live mat- different live market reports. So do you buy both off live cattle and box beef prices or just off the live cattle market? It'd be the live cattle market or the dress cattle market, so paying for the cattle as they cross the hot scale. I see. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. And uh, do you think, like, which is, what do you think is the most fair way for the packer and most fair way for the uh, the producer as far as which way you go? You know, we we take very seriously whether it's feeding the animals or marketing the animals. Um, we think the producer, um, and I saw your your podcast. I was I was actually listening. You had Dan Timmerman on. You know, guys like that know more about handling the animals and taking care of them how they want to market them than we do. So we're here to buy however the producer wants to sell them. Um, that's how we're here to buy them. And uh, really, they own the cattle. It's their call as to what they want to do. 
Um, but we're, we're very careful not to get over into that and telling people how they need to market their cattle. You know, sometimes we think bigger is better. Some cattle industry people are critical of the size of the big four packing companies. But I would imagine there are efficiencies in larger operations versus smaller operations. You know, what do you say to those folks that are critical to those larger packing operations? Yeah, you're right. There has been, especially during COVID, there's been a lot of light shined on, you know, the, the I guess the big four, they would call them in the, in the market share. You know, I, I started buying cattle, as, as I said, for Dick Monfort in uh, Texas in 1990. It was 1994 to 5 when I went to work for Monfort of Colorado. From, from 95, when I got in the business until today, the market share really hasn't changed. You know, it, 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 yeah, in the, in the late 80s and 70s, there was a lot of consolidation. Um, and, and I guess I have two thoughts on that is, you know, historically the return on assets has been really small in the packing business. You know, the last three years have obviously uh, been record profits for the packers. You, you, you've seen that, and that's a fact. Um, but before that, you know, the last uh, 20 or 30 years, um, it, it's really small margins. And, you know, it, it, the, the economies of scale really came into play. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the packers went out of business, and a lot of them, the, the, the margins are razor thin. So th- those things happened. And then COVID happened. Um, there was a plant fire in, at a plant in Kansas, you know, a couple of years ago. So some things, some, some dynamics changed in the industry. But I would say that's all kind of evened out now. I mean, if you look at the price of, of box beef and you look at the price of cattle, packer margins have normalized, and they're, they're back into that low single-digit returns. And so I think uh, there's been a lot of new plants um, been announced and planned, and I think uh, we, we welcome the competition. Steve, I've always said that uh, when you look at the three- and five-year trends for cattle, you look at a graph over the last 30 years, the ups, the downs, there's times when big packers make a lot of money, and there's times when big packers lose a lot of money. And you have to have very deep pockets to be in the downside when you're paying more for live cattle than the box beef market's really going to support like right now, right now, live. Why don't you speak to the market right now? Like right now, we have a lot of cattle in the feedlot. Dan Timmerman talked about the the number of cattle, especially cows and heifers, in the feedlots right now, and uh, you know that's not really it's turning into nice high profits for box beef right now. Consumers and wholesalers like me are enjoying some nice prices right now for the holidays for box beef, but that's going to change. So would you talk about maybe the market now and the market maybe in six six months? What you predict? Yeah, I think one thing that we don't talk about enough is is our business is really tied back to Mother Nature. You know, we need we need rains across you know across these arid parts of the country and in parts of parts of Colorado. Quite honestly, eastern eastern and southeastern Colorado. You know, some of these ranches where there there's not a lot of population in Mexico, Texas, uh, even even parts of Missouri. And it's been it's been really dry the last two or three years, and uh, so a lot of these a lot of these cow herds have liquidated, and you know because because of the drought, and so that uh, and a lot of those as as you talked about the cattle on feed number can be a little deceiving because as, as it's been dry, a lot of the heifers that normally would be kept 
to rebuild these herds have had to go into the feedlots um, because there was no other place for them. So the cattle on feed numbers are actually quite high. Uh, but you're right, as we, I mean, the, the, the harvest, as I talked about, after COVID is kind of normalized, you know, you can see we're harvesting as an industry 650 to 660,000 head every week. So we're going through these cattle on feed numbers fairly quickly. Um, but in, in, and behind them is going to be going to be tighter numbers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think 2000. When you look out there in 2023 and even beyond, you know you could you could you you could conceivably see a, a five to a seven percent drop, you know, in beef production next year. Excellent, Steve. You know, Steve, there's a it's a crazy business, that's for sure. But if you had a magic wand, <laughs> what are some of the things you'd change about the beef industry if you could? You know, there's a you know, I would say off the top of my head, too many regulations, too many critics, too many. Uh, uh, what's your take on that? I, I think you always have those type of things. I agree with you. Um, Mother Nature is a big part of our business, you know, and getting, in, in generally, not, not just uh, the packing business, but the cattle business, getting young people into it and getting young producers into it are always concerns and things that, that we would change. Um, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn this over to John and, and let John take a shot. That's a really good question. Yeah, I'd say getting young people into the business is number one. Keep the legacy of these ranchers and these cattle feed or the feedlots going into the future. Seeing that moving on, it's one of the pleasures of our job is working with these individual families that own a feed yard. There's not many jobs I can think of where you have the privilege of learning about somebody's history in agriculture in Colorado or whether it's Nebraska. So that would be number one. And then also finding a reliable source of team workers or coworkers to work in the office, work in the plant, do all the different jobs we have. I mean, we're now seeing decent labor numbers, but it's always a struggle getting good team members that are excited to come to work each day. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. And we had uh, just uh, about a month ago, we had Cheyenne Meckendeffer on the show, who's a cattle producer herself, grew up in the ag industry um, and uh, works for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And we asked her, you know, about the same question. And she said, yeah, getting young people to know there's some great careers in ag, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not like a lot of high school, even in the urban areas, that's not there. You know, they don't even think about going into the ag world, but there's some great sure. careers in, in ag, and there's some great careers on the on the chef side of it, too, that Chef Jackson speaks of before. I have a question for you, John, since I have you um, at the mic. I wanted to ask you about um, the Mercantile Exchange, and they call it the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. What, what role do futures for people buying cattle futures? These people don't own cattle. They may not even know anything about the cattle business, but they're making money off the futures. But what role does the CME play in what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. So the cattle futures are a way for whether it's a feedlot or a packer, to mitigate their risk, to take a position in the futures, and to lock in a price or lock in a, a return on their cattle. So if the futures are at a, at a high compared to where they bought the cattle, they can go and contract the cattle and lock in that price and then guarantee a return on their cattle. So it's really a tool for managing our risk, but it's also traded by different funds or bankers might trade them as well, but really risk management is the goal of the CME. So it's not just bankers and people totally unaffiliated with the industry, but it's actually producers themselves. And it, would it be feedlots too that are trying to mitigate their risk? 
Yep, primarily feedlots. We really need a strong CME. We need a strong uh, cattle contract, and we need we need strong longs. We need long participation in the market because, you know, right now if you're a cow calf producer or you're you're a feedlot producer, and you want to manage your risk, um, and say so you want to you want to hedge June cattle, and that's the way you manage your risk. In, in order for you to go sell a June contract or hedge your cattle out there in the summer, you need somebody on the other side of that trade that's willing to buy it. But like John said, whether it's a banker, whether it's a commodity fund, whether it's an individual speculator, whether it's you know, who, who, an investor, who, whoever it is, you need a strong long to participate in the cattle contract. Yeah, and I think that's especially true because it's beef production. It's not pork production or poultry production, which have a much shorter life. I've always wondered, you know, how these ranchers figure out how many cattle they're going to raise in three years, and what, how many heifers do they want to retain, and how many, you know, how do, they, how do they project the market in three or four years? Do they have any tools? That's it. I mean, that, that you need that strong CME. And there's also some tools, you know, the, the government has come out with a couple of pretty interesting risk management tools, a livestock risk protection program that where the the government's helped subsidize uh some risk protection out in the future and then they can also get um you know drought insurance um that's also subsidized by the government there are some tools for the for the cow calf producer out there but you, again it goes back to the basic the basic tenet of risk protection is you need someone willing to take that risk off of your hands and so and, and as cattle producers you know, you're always looking to sell into a futures market. Yeah, and even with those tools, you know, I've talked to enough cattle producers that have been in it long enough, usually generations, that they know there's years they won't make money, and they know there's years they'll break even, and they know there's years they'll make a lot of money. But when they make a lot of money, they put some in the bank because it might not be so good the next year. Because it's like you said, Steve, it's, you know, this industry is highly reliant on the weather and droughts and things that we really can't control. So... Um, Steve, I have a question for you. Um, we have a few minutes left in the show, but uh, what, what, what are some of the things that you might change about the cattle industry, if you could? Growing up in this, and I really, I really enjoy the cattle industry. I mean, there's, there's always going to be conflicts, and there's always going to be disagreements. And I think, you know, if I, if I could change one thing from, from our perspective, it's that the packer is a part of the industry. And, you know, we want, we want everybody part of it. Part of our part of our sustainability and long-term um, strategy is there. We you have to have suppliers that are profitable. You know, we 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 need suppliers to be healthy, um, the same way we need our customers to be healthy. And I think those, those are things. And, then, and through this, we talked about you know keep coming back to the weather and the drought and the the ups and downs of the cattle cycle and the cow herd. We really need a consistent market where, uh, you know, everyone gets a piece of the pie, so to speak. Right. I like that answer, Stephen. If I could change one thing about the cattle industry, and I'm not an active participant, I'm a wholesaler, and I, I buy and sell it, and I export some, but, you know, is that, you know, we're all in this together. We need the elements of the, the industry. We need the cow calf operator to understand that the packer's not their enemy and that you know everybody in the middle is you know we're all a family we all need each other uh to produce high quality beef or the rest it doesn't work you know and sometimes i go to small little 
you know places little ranches you know and they're upset about maybe the margins that the big cattle uh, producers are making right now the 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 uh, feeders not the feeders I'm talking the slaughter plants and I have to remind them that you know look at the years back look at the trends you know so uh, chef jackson has he's raising his hand he has a question for you no we're just about out of time here greg but you know i'll tell you as a chef i'd like to just ask is there any particular cut uh both of you prefer well i'll tell you i like and i i guess i can give a shameless plug here greg um i we have an aspen ridge product produced here in in greeley it's a it's a product that a lot of it originates from Colorado cow calf. Um, the ninety percent of it's you know is is fed and raised here in Colorado, and it's uh, it's all natural, no antibiotics, no hormones ever. And uh, I like the fillet out of that. Um, you know, second would be would be a strip, either one. Um, and, and, and most of the, about 30, 30% of the Aspen's prime and about 70% of its choice. It's about 100% choice and above. And those, those cooked on the grill medium are my, my favorite. Oh, it's funny you asked that question. I just, right before this interview, I finished bragging about a prime rib I cooked this weekend and how delicious it was. Cooked the prime rib on the Traeger. Turned out perfectly. That's one of my favorite cuts. Hey, on the Traeger, what a great way to go. Fantastic. Well, I do love that Aspen Ridge program. Uh, Stephen, glad you mentioned it. It's a great local program, and uh, all produced here in Colorado as far as the, the, the processing of the beef. And I see it in restaurants all over. So, yeah, great, great program. So, hey, both, I want to thank you both, Steve and John, for being on our show today. Uh, Steve, uh, John, go Rams. Um, thanks a lot for coming on and spending 30 minutes with us. This was a great interview. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate what you guys do. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Thanks, Bye. guys. Today's Food Chat episode is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com finds the best quality beef in the marketplace, but not only beef, bison and chicken and lamb and all kinds of great proteins that come from family farms that we know personally. And if not the farm, then the USDA plant. So go to Ranch freshmeats.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter because at the every week we pull a name at random and give away a box of meat ranchfreshmeats.com here's to the farmer the plants the fields and the spring the turn from green to that harvest honey hold one up for the banker downtown they got him on his feet with handshake of money here's to the farmer's wife And a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.